welcome to the Holden Village podcast. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. So my name is Chastity Jones Salinga, and I am in my last year for my Master's in Divinity at Boston University School of Theology. I'm a new mother, and I just recently started an organization called Fourth Wave Revolution. I consider myself a fourth wave womanist theologian, and it's a very uh, revolution, liberation-focused movement that is consulting with faith communities, educational communities and institutions, and hopefully one day medical communities and institutions on how they can decolonize their education and programming and basically be there to walk with them in their process of decolonization. So I first encountered the term decolonizing our minds through a book called Sisters of the Yams, Black Women and Self-Recovery by Bell Hooks. And she's basically talking about identifying and uprooting the things in our consciousness that are consistent with colonialist logic. So working to unlearn the ways, whether it's behaviors or thought patterns, we are continually influenced by colonialism. So decolonizing the mind would be kind of like a treatment plan (laughs) for how to undo that and unlearn those things. My work is situated under black women's health and quality of life. Because before I was even thinking about motherhood, I was like, I'm a yoga practitioner and I want to make yoga accessible to my community because it has so many benefits and it's so expensive to go to a yoga class in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know any, and then when you go, you're the only black person there. And then, so anyway, I, I think if I look back at all the various aspects of my work, it boils down to quality of life and healing. Mm-hmm. Black women and people in general's negative experiences in medical environments, um, not being heard, being perceived in ways that are consistent with colonialist logic affecting their our care. Um, but also, kind of as a new mother, but I cared about this issue and was aware of it before I thought about becoming a mother, is the pregnancy and maternal outcomes for black women in our country. And a huge part of it, black women's experiences in medical institutions is that, is giving birth. And black women are more likely to die in childbirth than any other than any other woman in the country, especially as a black woman who's just been pregnant and who witnessed on the news multiple times while I was pregnant, this black woman died in childbirth. That black woman died in childbirth. I saw a survey that said like 60-something percent of medical students that took this survey were in support of the belief that black women had thicker skin and could endure more pain, which are direct results of stereotypes from slavery. But um, those are medical, those are our future (laughs) providers. 
And so I just think education in that area is so, is, it's very important if we, if we want to address the issue. I think it's one of the most important issues in terms of the black community. And I also think it's a very underrated issue that's not brought up a lot, especially even in like pro-black movements and Black Lives Matter conversations and stuff like that. So in Sisters of the Am, Bell Hooks talks about the necessity for pro-black movements and black liberation movements to decolonize our minds and engage in healing um, so that we can engage in black liberation from a place of healing as opposed to trauma and brokenness and it's related to me to the theological understanding because so much of how black women are perceived and have been treated has been justified theologically and supported theologically Um, with the perpetuation of this white theology and this associating blackness with negative things and whiteness with positive and divine things. But also, if I see myself as a child of God, made in the image of God, then if I truly believe that as a black woman, then there are a lot of theological implications. (laughs) And rethinking and relearning that I have to engage in. And, and then also this country's been shaped by Christianity in deep and powerful ways. It's been so powerful in the construction, conception, construction, and sustaining of our nation and how we think about ourselves and interact with each other. And my family is, we're from Louisiana, right across the lake from New Orleans. Everybody there is terrified of New Orleans voodoo. You don't even play with that stuff. But I think an important part of my work has been to the white community of like, these traditions are unfairly vilified and misunderstood and racism plays into that. But also to the my community, we shouldn't be afraid of our own stuff. And... The reason that colonizers were afraid of these traditions were because they empower black people to resist and to not be subjugated. And and Christianity was really good for priming this subservient servant of Christ, like, you know, posture, which is why missionaries were like some of the first deployed people in the colonization enterprise. So I think there's so much power in it. And I think that black women today who feel like their needs aren't being met spiritually in Christian churches today, they don't feel affirmed in Christianity or the Christian circles that they're in. I think that African spirituality is an amazing thing to at least be open to, you know, at least not be afraid of. Because it's so empowering. I mean, like the Haitian Revolution was led by voodoo priests and priestesses. And is another reason why it was so feared in the 18th century. And Haiti Haiti was the first black independent nation. So they're like, we definitely don't want... (laughs) There was forced conversions, like laws in Louisiana, you know, of like, 
slaves have to be Christians and to try to prevent this. Like if they just came to Congo Square in New Orleans and witnessed the voodoo, whatever, because of the different performativities, like there's, it's loud, there's lots of dancing, there's lots of expression and emotion and it's very embodied. And um, that would have scared the heck out of the, mm-hmm. out of, you know, white men who can only see from their white men mm-hmm. <laughs> lens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so womanist theology is a Christian liberation theology that centers the black women, woman's experience in, on, in a historical way, mm-hmm. in theological and ethical reflections. And I think womanist theology and black liberation theology are attempting to redeem something that has been used in harmful ways, but there are also people in the womanist community who are like, it's not redeemable. (laughs) Um, A lot of my work in theology school has been kind of hopefully creating new intersections of womanist theology and yogic philosophy, African spiritualities, and how we can use them to affirm ourselves and reimagine what spirituality is and can look like. When I first encountered womanist theology, there was really not much, and I was like, well, do I really want to commit myself to something that nobody knows of? And that's not as, like, defined as feminism or, you know. But I have found it to be a very liberating and playful space for me to be um, myself. And as radical as I want to be or different as I want to be and feels like womanist theology and womanism has been flexible enough to allow me that space to go out and be like, and play and innovate while still being a part of this tradition of black empowered women, you know, doing all these great things and asking all these great questions and standing for Mm -hmm. their community. And then there's, you know, the question of what is theology? Because traditionally theology has only meant Christian theology, but I just don't think that that's fair because it's, Theology is articulation of God, and I think that there's voodoo can be theology, and these African traditions have theology. Mm-hmm. So it's so Christian centric and exclusive to say theology is only a Christian endeavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you find that received? Uh, I think in my school, among my classmates, I think a lot of them would agree. Overall, my school is like very progressive, but I have had teachers who were like, you know, 20 years ago, you know, we have to acknowledge probably nobody. We wouldn't even be talking about this (laughs) or whatever, you know. So, um, yeah, I think that there is an effort, like especially with like interfaith movements and things and ecumenical movements and conversations, what is... Christianity and what is Christian theology and what is theology have begun to shift, I I think. My background is uh, very, very Christian, Baptist, um, and then I had like a four 
year-ish year period of being in a conservative evangelical mega church cult if you will <laughs> in Louisiana um and so a lot of my work has been critiquing that context of Christianity because it's during that context of which I study the Bible the most and came to understand this theology in such a prevalent way. So most of what I'm critiquing is white, Western, evangelical interpretations of scripture, you know, that has influenced the KKK and like Christian terrorism and slavery and all these things critiquing that as a culture and recognizing that it's dominated our country's culture. Initially, when I began to learn about missionaries' role in colonization and the church's role, my first instinct was to jump ship. (laughs) I was like, you know, I'm a very radical personality and I'm like, it's hard for me to be like 50-50 or like, I'm just like, I'm supporting this. I'm not supporting this. Like, and I was so like, how can I even, how can I be affiliated with this history? I guess my own people, even. I kind of see it as a part of my calling and purpose in life to challenge the church with the hopes that it will decolonize itself. I think I said this today, but... Womanist theology gave me permission to ask the hard questions because I came from the evangelical perspective, which shaped me greatly theologically, where you can't question this document and, um, and you can't even question our interpretations of it. And so um, to see Dolores Williams critiquing her teacher, James Cone, and traditional black understandings and traditional Christian understandings was like, oh, you can do that and still be a Christian or a theologian or whatever you want to call yourself. So, yeah, it was so empowering. I don't know. Like her language and her way, I feel like she's a phenomenal writer and I feel like she is, her, this book is incredibly accessible. I, I read this book before I was in theology school, the Sisters in the Wilderness, and which is what I based my talks on this week. Just so easy to access and digest and engage in, even though this is a work of academia and whatever. Mm-hmm especially for me as a black woman, because it's all about the black woman's experiences. And she's like digging through slave narratives and lifting them up and lifting up so many themes that are very familiar with black women. And I know like intellectually I was able to engage in it, but I know that on another level, her work has connected with me because Every time I engage in the work in a deep way, I have like physical or emotional reactions that that have been negative. <laughs> I really feel like reading that history, it's like I can feel a pain that's not necessarily mine that 
I have inherited from ancestors who have been through those things. I really want to carry on the concepts of black women and quality of life and survival. But I also want to take forward the courage that she has to critique and question things that to me were previously unquestionable and uncritiquable. Even for like James Cone, who is her teacher and who she's critiquing in some of her work, his ability to construct a theology, Black liberation theology, in a way that invited other voices in, he was like super gracious of her critique and like super supportive of her work. And um, I really want to embody that because I feel like, especially in recent um, black liberation movements, there's been a lot of black voices from the civil rights movement or other black movements previous that are like, this is how you need to do things. This is how we did it. So y'all, and or I'm not going to support this form of protest because it's loud and whatever. Um, And we don't want to be loud anymore. And I feel like I'm also going to bring in Angela Davis, a black feminist who has also inspired me in this way to just as graciously age and empower the people who are doing the work now and to just posture yourself in a open position to watch things evolve and yeah she has like she's on the boards of so many projects of like um supporting um Palestine supporting immigrants in the U.S. she's not like in this and that's the other thing is not being only a citizen of the black community, but to stand in solidarity with other struggles and see ourselves as a part of the universe. So I think that womanism is just a beautiful place to be, to stand at so many intersections. Yeah, I don't know. I've always been super empathetic and connected with other people's struggles as I've learned of them from the Native Americans to the Japanese internment to Palestine to as a black woman like I see you I hadn't heard much about Holden other than I've known some pastors that have gone there so I thought it was kind of like a retreat for pastors I actually got invited through Stacy who I knew through her previous role as program director of the Krista Foundation. And um, I intuited that it would be a predominantly white community. (laughs) 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 Which um, is my life. And people, a lot of people have asked me this week, like, oh my gosh, like, what made you come? You know, or like, we're thankful that you're here, but like, wow like wow that you're you decided to come and I'm like y'all should meet the white people that from where I'm from that are like grand words of the KKK and like just very so in a sense it gives me hope to see white people positioning themselves in a uh, position of students and willing to learn and engage in a perspective that's different from their own and being able to hold that, yeah. Hearing how this is impacting people too is also really encouraging because a lot of times you just don't, 
get to hear about it. And I know for me, like, there's certain things, like my first anti-racism training, that that was unpacking for like five years later. So maybe the people or themselves won't know how it's working on them. You can find more information about Fourth Wave Revolution at fourthwaverevolution.com. And I have a blog that I is kind of discontinued, but I have a lot of really helpful insights into my own process of decolonization um, as a black woman, as a Christian black woman who is serving as a missionary at modernmissionary.wordpress.com. Also, I collaborated with a church in Seattle, like in 2017, to have a conversation about white Jesus, and they ended up covering up their white Jesus stained glass window with a work of art by an artist in the community. This is Columbia City Church of Hope. And I was interviewed about it, and it's a part of an article that just came out in the Christian Century magazine this month in the August edition. And then the sermon that I gave that kind of like continued that conversation in the church is included in a documentary called Manifest Destiny Jesus that I believe is also out at the end of this month in a film festival. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. Blessings and peace to you.